continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. <laughs> CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. Hey, this is great, man. We love it. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. All right, good day, tokers and tokettes, and welcome to the show. It is Wednesday, December 9th, 2015, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. Let me open up with an apology for missing you all yesterday. You know, I try and I try to do a show every weekday, and uh, usually I can pull it off, but yesterday I just could not. We are approaching the uh, Christmas break, and the folks at HighTimes.com, they have a big Christmas vacation coming up, which means I have to get all my Radical Rant articles written in advance for the rest of this month, so it's taking a lot of my time to get that done. And then to add to that, uh, I'm continuing on my project to uh, hyperlink all of the legalization initiatives, only to find out that uh, the Sean Parker Initiative, the Adult Use of Marijuana Act in California, has undergone some pretty major amendments. So now I have to relink up uh, all of that in their new version and uh, all the others in Nevada, Massachusetts, Maine, and Arizona. So we'll be working on that, publishing a whole lot of stuff. Follow me at Radical Russ to get the latest updates whenever I get something published. And uh, we'll have all the information you need to make an informed decision on Election Day. All right, coming up on today's show, speaking of informed decisions, we're going to get our Hemp Day Hump Day update from Doug Fine. He's at Organic Cowboy on Twitter, and of course, he is the best-selling author of Hemp Bound and Too High to Fail, among other books. He has recently been attending some of the committee meetings, uh, setting the rules for hemp industries here in the state of Oregon. He's going to join us at half past to give us an update on what's happening, what the hemp industry will look like going forward. Then after that on the show today, at the end of the show, we'll have time to get into a radical rant. And uh, I'm going to point out how Kevin Sabet doesn't have a calling. He has a bigotry. There's a great uh, article by Joel Warner up at International Business Times. And I mean great in the sense of painting the picture, not necessarily what picture is being painted, but uh, it's all about Kevin Sabet, and it laments that uh, he's the only, he's really the only celebrity fighting uh, for marijuana to be illegal, to continue prohibition. I shouldn't say celebrity, I meant you know, pu public policy figure, but you know, well-known public policy figure fighting for marijuana to be completely illegal. So I've written up a rebuttal to that piece. Uh, we'll go through that today on the Radical Rant, and it'll appear online on hightimes.com on Friday. Also coming up on the show today, we'll have time to get into the drug war data mines. We're going to look at the treatment episode data set and what it tells us about big rehab and why they are fighting so much to keep marijuana illegal or at least punished in some way. Before that, we'll have time to get behind the headlines and we'll look at the idiocy of setting possession limits that are grossly out of step with what cultivation uh, can produce for home growers, whether they be medical marijuana or recreational growers. Today, we look at a case in Michigan where a couple are facing four years worth of felony time based on whether or not they had too much usable marijuana. But given how many plants they're allowed to grow, how could they not have had too much usable marijuana? 
But before all that, we start things off with the Cannabis Radio News. And in the headlines today, we've got the big news about the Sean Parker Initiative in California. We've got the University of Vermont offering a course on medical marijuana. Florida's Office of Compassionate Use is taking a look at state rules for their growers of high CBD strains. In the city of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, we've got a proposal for marijuana decriminalization to take a look at. And once again, the religious use of marijuana loses in the U.S. court system. All that coming up right after this break, so stick around. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The son of a Polish immigrant who grew up in a Brooklyn tenement. He went to public schools, then college, where the work of his life began, fighting injustice and inequality, speaking truth to power. He moved to Vermont, won election and praise as one of America's best mayors. In Congress, he stood up for working families and for principle, opposing the Iraq War, supporting veterans. Now he's taking on Wall Street and a corrupt political system, funded by over a million contributions, tackling climate change to create clean energy jobs, fighting for living wages, equal pay, and tuition-free public colleges. People are sick and tired of establishment politics, and they want real change. Bernie Sanders, husband, father, grandfather, an honest leader, building a movement with you to give us a future to believe in. I'm Bernie Sanders, and I approve this message. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Wednesday, December 9th, 2015. Yesterday, a majority of the board of directors for the Coalition for Cannabis Policy Reform, or CCPR, agreed to vote to withdraw its own measure, known as Reform California, to legalize marijuana in California. Six members of the CCPR board then immediately announced their endorsement of the recently amended statewide ballot measure known as the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, backed by Napster billionaire Sean Parker, to control and regulate and tax marijuana. They include Dr. David Bronner, or, I'm sorry, David Bronner, the CEO of North America's top-selling brand of natural soaps. Nate Bradley, the executive director of the California Cannabis Industry Association. Stacia Costner, the deputy director of Students for Sensible Drug Policy. Neil Franklin, the executive director of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Antonio Gonzalez, the president of the Latino Voters League and the William C. Velasquez Institute in Los Angeles. 
and Richard Lee, the founder of Oaksterdam University in Oakland. In addition, Dr. Larry Bedard, former president of the American College of Emergency Physicians, has agreed to withdraw as an official co-proponent of the Reform California measure and instead support the AUMA. As more states allow for the use of medical marijuana, the University of Vermont is offering a course in the science of the drug, and the professors say they are challenged by a lack of research on what has long been a taboo topic. Other institutions have offered classes in marijuana law and policy, but the university's medical school is likely the country's first to offer a full course on medical cannabis, according to the Association of American Medical Colleges and Universities. Other medical schools have touched on the topic. The Massachusetts Medical Society, an accredited institution, is offering online medical marijuana courses, including one on pharmacology, but it's also limited because of the lack of research on the topic. The Vermont course will cover cannabis taxonomy, medical chemistry of cannabinoids, the chemicals found in marijuana, the physiological effects of the drug, emerging therapeutic applications, and the historical, political, and socioeconomic influences on marijuana legislation. The growers that Florida's Office of Compassionate Use selected to dispense medical marijuana got their first look at state rules Wednesday, but instead of discussion between the growers and the state, there was mostly silence. Five growers around the state were officially selected to grow Florida's first form of medical marijuana in late November. The companies had until 5 p.m. Wednesday to post a $5 million performance bond. The Department of Health said four had posted the money by Wednesday afternoon. The draft rules include dispensing requirements, hygiene and odor control, and security. After looking at the rules, stakeholders in Florida's capital said there weren't many surprises. Growers and the state are still hoping that the medicine could be available by next summer. Pittsburgh City Councilor Daniel Lavelle has proposed legislation to decriminalize marijuana. Under the ordinance, possession would be punishable by a civil fine of up to $100 for less than 30 grams of marijuana or 8 grams of hashish. Lavelle was inspired to take a look at decriminalization when he was approached by the Bloomfield Garfield Corporation and the Alliance for Police Accountability, which had both been working on the issue. Supporters of the ordinance said it will reduce the number of youths funneled into the criminal justice system. Many individuals with a marijuana possession charge on their record are barred from economic opportunity. An estimated 1,000 individuals annually are charged with minor marijuana possession in Pittsburgh. But Lavelle's office says that most of the charges are reduced and end up resulting in a fine anyway. This ordinance would essentially cut out the middleman by directing police officers to issue a fine from the beginning. A federal judge on Monday dismissed a complaint filed by Ann Armstrong and Alan Gordon of the Healing Church, who said the government interfered with their, quote, cannabis-related religious activity, end quote, at the Roger Williams National Memorial in May. The complainants were told that the permit for their service, quote, does not grant permission to undertake any activity that may violate federal, state, or municipal laws or regulations, end quote, including the Controlled Substances Act. On May 16th, Armstrong and Gordon began to pray daily for the May 23rd service by using cannabis at the park's dry well. They were fined $100 each. In Monday's decision, the judge said the plaintiffs could have practiced their religion freely elsewhere. Their only arguments for the park was that the biblical reference to INRI refers to in Rhode Island and that the park symbolizes religious freedom. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Wednesday, December 9th, 2015. I'm Russ Belville. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your Cannabis 280E and tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPA's Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. 
NewEraCPAs.com. With years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. Marijuana is not addictive, but listening to the Russ Belleville Show is... Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to insure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services, ranging from commercial to bonds, to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at KarcherInsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R Insurance.com. Contact Karen and the team at Karcher Insurance at 1-844-421-3560. That's 844-421-3560. Welcome back, everyone. Today in Behind the Headlines, we take a look at a case out of the state of Michigan, uh, Bay County, Michigan, where a couple is charged with breaking the law by having too much usable pot in their medical marijuana growing operation. Couple's name names are Sandra and David Dabrowski. Dabrowski. How cute. Uh, David, <laughs> Sandra and David Dabrowski. They're uh, 63 and 64, and the charges there uh, – facing are delivering or manufacturing marijuana. It's a four-year felony if they're convicted on this. Now, it's important to understand that the couple are medical marijuana patients and caregivers. Um, They care for five others uh, as well as themselves. Okay, So under the state's Medical Marijuana Act, and this is where we get to the, the point, is that These laws, these medical marijuana laws, oftentimes set people up to get busted. They almost almost incentivize getting busted. And what it is, is in the Michigan Medical Marijuana Act, patients can have two and a half ounces of usable marijuana. And caregivers can grow up to 12 plants, producing two and a half ounces of usable marijuana for each of their five patients and themselves. And so if you didn't just stop and think, wait, what? Grow 12 plants that produce 2.5 ounces? Not 2.5 ounces per plant. 2.5 ounces total. How small do your plants have to be? Let's see, 2.5 ounces is what? 28, 56.5 ounces, 14, 70 grams. All right, so we've got 70 grams that you're allowed to possess. <laughs> and uh, your 12 plants are supposed to produce 70 grams. All right, let's check some of this stuff out. 2.5 ounces in grams is, like I said, 70.8, almost 71 grams. And then 70 grams divided by 12 plants is 5.833 grams uh, in plant weight that or in usable weight that you're allowed to possess. 5.833 grams in ounces works out to a um, fifth of an ounce. <laughs> so each one of those plants you're growing, 
you better only grow them to harvest a fifth of an ounce off of each one. So here's the deal. With those two being patients and caregivers for five others, they're legally allowed to have 132 plants, according to this uh, uh, piece. Let's see. 12 plants times 7 is actually not that. It would be 84. So where are they getting 132? I'm not sure. But according to the story, they're allowed to legally have a total of 132 plants and 27.5 ounces of usable marijuana. Let's see. 27.5 divided by 7 is not even accurate either. All right. 27.5 divided by 2.5 is 11. So they must be working this off of 11 plants, 11 patients somehow, because that's where the 132 comes up. I don't know why they're multiplying by 11. Regardless, the point is you're allowed to produce 12 plants, even if you're on your own here, if you're just caregiving for yourself, but you're only allowed to have 2.5 ounces of usable marijuana. And in the charges here, uh, it was they were found to have had, and this all came from tips and so forth, right? The officers found 96 marijuana plants, 96, not 132 that the story says they can have, and 37.7 grams of loose marijuana drying in a basket, another batch on the table weighing approximately 1.4 kilograms. And then in the freezer, they found marijuana oil and several pounds of usable marijuana. And of course they did. You're producing 12 plants for how many patients each? They can't help but break the law. And this is the case in so many other states as well, where they set up, like here in Oregon, you can have four plants, but you can only have eight ounces, two ounces per plant. It's time to make these laws allow you to have the entire results of your harvest. Now, the good news is, in the five states that are on deck for 2016... All of their laws allow you to have the results of your harvests. And Colorado's does as well. It's time to get rid of possession limits at home. There's an argument for possession limits in public. I get that, but not at home. We're back with Drug War Data Mines right after this. Get dot buzz. .buzz is the internet platform that fuels community interest, excitement, and new experiences. .buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics. .buzz appeals to groups active in blogging, communications, journalism, advertising, and marketing. .buzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names, such as .com, .net, and .org. Get your name now at get.buzz. This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on MJWellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out MJWellness.com today.
Arguing for the end of adult marijuana prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It is even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more in this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Welcome back, everyone. And today we're taking a look at data from the treatment episode data set. And uh, Tom Angel out at uh, marijuana.com has uh, recently put together a really good piece on this about uh, how most people who are in treatment for marijuana were referred by the criminal justice system. And uh, this is something that I've uh, brought up many times uh, over the past uh, few years when we've been discussing this issue. And, uh, Wow, that's strange. <laughs> My piece didn't kind of, it's supposed to be coming up, but uh, let's try that again. But anyway, uh, this is something that I've pointed out for many years, uh, ever since I've been uh, going through the data. And according to the latest data uh, that Tom writes up, the treatment episode data set shows that nearly 52% of the people in drug treatment, primarily for marijuana, were referred by the criminal justice system. That is over half the people who end up in marijuana rehab are there because a court forced them to a drug court or a regular court forced them to among those referrals from criminal justice, 44.1% were from probation or parole officers. 16.2% were from courts and 2.2% from prisons. And, uh, this information is all available on, uh, the treatment episode data set, which you can actually download. And the information runs from 2003 to 2013. And uh, this is uh, now the criticism of this that will come from the big rehab industry is that the uh, data in TEDS, the treatment episode data set only is collected for those rehab agencies that get federal funding. And so they have to, by law, report on some of this data. Private rehabs don't necessarily have to report. The last I was able to find out, TED's data reflected about 58% of the uh, rehabs out there compared to the other um, you know, 42% that might be private. But even with that, we'd have to assume that the private rehabs would have an incredibly different uh, admission rates for this to make any difference, uh, and especially when most of the people that are in, in, that are going to be sent there by the criminal justice system would end up in the publicly funded places because the state doesn't want to pay the money for the privately funded places. This information is all available, like I said, on the uh, the TED's website and um, marijuana.com. Tom Angel's piece on this will definitely give you the links that you need. As I covered this stuff before, I found a lot of this data as well. We find also that people uh, that end up in marijuana rehab, that first of all, admitting people to rehab, what do you think are the drugs that most likely send people to rehab? And this is uh, on the intake forms, whether it's a primary substance or a secondary substance. And in almost a third, of, more than a third of the cases, alcohol, 37%, is the reason for rehab. But the second most popular rehab drug is marijuana, 21%. Over a fifth, over one out of five people being sent to rehab are being sent there for marijuana. And of the people that are being sent there for marijuana, they ask them, how much marijuana have they been using in the past 30 days? 
37% of the people sent to rehab for marijuana, over a third, say they've used none in the past month. Another 17% say they've used one to three times that month. So we have well over half the people going to rehab for marijuana who are using it less than once a week or not at all in the past month. Shows you how darn addictive it is. The referral sources are almost always from the uh, criminal justice, uh, the criminal justice system. And there's a couple different ways to look at this. I broke this down in 2008 and found for people who were cannabis only rehab admits, only going to rehab for pot, it was 59% that were referred by the criminal justice system. Only 13% sent themselves. But when you look at people who only went to rehab for drugs, not alcohol or cannabis, just drugs, 47% of them admit themselves compared to 23% who are sent there by the criminal justice system. In other words, for drugs, it's four times more likely you refer yourself to rehab than if you're using pot. And with pot, it's twice as likely that the criminal justice system sends you to rehab than if you were doing drugs. And most people will agree that it's the drugs we want people to go in to rehab for, the heroin, the cocaine, the methamphetamine. And when those beds are filled by someone who is merely a pot user who got caught, those serious drug addictions go untreated. And again, uh, looking at these data from 2011, it went down from 59% to about 53% referred to by the courts and criminal justice system. And according to uh, Tom's article, down to 52% in 2013, that to me says that the legalization of marijuana is taking away the power of sentencing clients to rehabs they do not need. If you need one reason why Big Rehab and their extension, Kevin Sabet, are fighting so hard against legalized marijuana, it's because they do not want to end the steady stream of easily rehabbed, forced clients that are sent to them by parole, probation, and drug courts. You also have to understand that as a rehab that gets public money, you need to show results. You need to show that you're actually helping people. What better way to boost your statistics than to have a whole bunch of potheads in your rehab who don't really need rehab and who can easily quit if you threaten them with a P-test? That's all that's left, folks. Big rehab and law enforcement. Those are our enemies. Not billionaires, not other legalization initiatives and activists. Rehab and law enforcement. All right, stay tuned. We'll be on the line with Doug Fine in our Hemp Day Hump Day update. Coming up next. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of the Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. 
The Russ Belleville Show reminds you to never smoke and drive impaired. Hang out for a while and share. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Marijuana legalization also ushers in the return of the American hemp industry. Get the latest news from the author of Hemp Bound and Too High to Fail, Doug Fine, in our Hemp Day Hump Day update. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Time for us to get our Hemp Day Hump Day update. We go to Doug Fine on the line. How you doing, Doug? Oh, goodness. Well, we don't have Doug Fine on the line. Well, let's see if we can find a little Doug Fine. Uh, he, he emailed me yesterday. He said he was ready for the segment. So let me see what I can find. Hemp Day, Hump Day, we're doing a segment. Yes, we are, Doug. Let's try calling Doug Fine one more time. We'll see if we can get him on the air. He is the author of Hemp Bound and Too High to Fail and uh, is tending to goats on his goat ranch. So we'll make sure that we can uh, give a shout out to the latest goats uh, out there. Doug's uh, website is DougFine.com, and he was telling me he just finished testifying at the Oregon Hemp Hearings and uh, sent a great picture of him amongst some large, large uh, hemp plants that have been uh, cultivated and are hanging and are drying. So looks like he's been uh, very, very busy there in Colorado. Let's see. I'm probably. Yeah, we're unable to get a hold of Doug today. All right, we're going to take a break. And uh, when we come back, we'll have a radical rant. Kevin Sabet doesn't have a calling. He has a bigotry. Also, stay tuned for Hour 2, Toker Talk Radio. We'll take your calls at 971-533-7111. we got a story, uh, a good news story for once, coming out of New York relating to parental rights of cannabis users. Stay tuned. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. You know Herb Thrasher from the Herb Thrasher Flower Hour. Now get ready for Herb Age Designs for the proud cannabis consumer. Herb Age Designs, lifestyle gear for the 420 friendly. Herb Age Designs, we've got frisbee golf discs and durable hemp gear. Herb Age Designs. We've got shot glasses, drinking glasses, coffee mugs, and beer cozies. Check us out on Facebook and online at HerbAgeDesigns.com. And follow Herb Age and Herb Thrasher on Twitter. We must continue to focus, to stick to the plan for 2016. Marijuana enforcement has been fundamental to the erosion of our constitutional rights. We're placing that 
with a legal system opens different questions. The pitch is that prohibition has only created, you know, crime, violence, and uh, the separation and destruction of families. It's time to end prohibition. California set the stage for marijuana legalization in America as the first state to legalize the drug for medical use with the passage of Prop 215 in 1996. But after the Golden State failed to legalize commercial marijuana sales in 2010, several states and the District of Columbia leapfrogged California and showed the nation what a recreational pot market would look like. But now, California is back in the game. Reason TV traveled to Oaksterdam University, the nation's premier cannabis cultivation school, where many of the political activists pushing an upcoming ballot initiative held a meeting to finalize language and debate some of the finer points of legalization. The group calls itself Reform CA and is chaired by Oaksterdam's president, Dale Sky Jones. We spoke to Sky Jones and several other activists about lessons learned from Prop 19, what other states can teach California, and what legalization in the largest state in the union would mean for the rest of the country. Coming off of the loss of Prop 19 in 2010, we realized that we had an awful lot of work to do to get it right for California in the coming years. Back in 2010, it was the first introduction of the idea of adult use of cannabis. So it was a, a, you know, testing the market, so to speak. I would never in favor of the 2010 effort because uh, the polls were too close and it was an off-year election. I campaigned against Prop 19. I thought Prop 19 was bad policy. I thought it was poorly thought out and I thought it was too soon. Even though I'm a political consultant, uh, I understand that some issues need to fail before they win. And uh, I think to everyone's surprise with Proposition 19 is they expected it to come not even close. And instead, you know, it came in at 48%. It missed by, you know, three points. And if it wasn't for Proposition 19, there wouldn't have been the propositions that we saw in Colorado, Washington State, Washington, D.C., Alaska. So it was a precursor. Prop 19 may have paved the way for legalization in other states, but now legalization advocates believe California needs to learn some important lessons from Colorado, Washington, Oregon, Alaska, and Washington, D.C. I think the most important thing that these states that have already chosen to regulate for adult consumption of cannabis offers is that there's proof the sky has not fallen. All of the scare tactics, the marijuana madness that has been put forth by those that would prefer to keep the failed status quo have been proven wrong. And at a certain point, we can hold people accountable to the lies that they've told. Washington State, Colorado, uh, they were very much interested in the tax revenues. The message is that it is going to be well-regulated, well-controlled, like alcohol, but it only goes to adults. A few of the what-not-to-dos that we've learned have specifically come from Washington State, not to beat up on one of the first, because they did get it over the line, and that's important to note. The taxes that they initially envisioned were way too high. Colorado probably did it best overall in the way that they brought 
folks into a regulated system, a taxation system, and manage to keep intervention from the federal government away in the process. Colorado is also very burdensome, cumbersome, and expensive. And in fact, many of the things that folks tout as Colorado law with that seed to sale tracking and how stringent it is, isn't actually that stringent anymore because they realized it was ridiculously expensive. There is not a cop watching every plant out there. The day before this meeting took place, the state legislature for the first time passed uniform regulations that treat medical marijuana the same across the state. I wish that the ledge had passed this last year. I'm having flashbacks of 2010, the October surprise, when Schwarzenegger signed in a decriminalization measure saying, why legalize? We decriminalized. And I'm worried that we're going to hear, why legalize? We finally just regulated medical. Let's wait till 2020. The Blue Ribbon Commission was first formed with Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom at the helm as chairman. I would say the Lieutenant Governor himself is an excellent qualifier for how far we've come. He was against Prop 19 at the time, and he is now heading up this commission. The commission generated a giant report full of recommendations. I would say the single most important issue that I would recommend is that there be rigorous collection of data. With legalization, we have to have information about the consumption of marijuana, public health issues, public safety issues, taxation, regulatory data. All of that information can help us make reasoned judgments on public policy that are based on fact. Reform CA published its initiative in early October. A lot can happen over the next year, including the possibility of competing initiatives. But these activists remain optimistic and believe that legalization in California could be a tipping point in the war on marijuana. Some people say there are six Californias. Some people say there are ten Californias. As we proceed, we're going to have to basically address the concerns of each of these Californias and show that overall it's a good to have a statewide system. California has more producers than the rest of the country combined. We produce more cannabis and, you know, a little bit of uh, pride here, we produce the best cannabis. There's been a groundswell statewide of growers and small businesses waking up to the fact that we can't hide from regulation forever. The best possible outcomes will come by embracing it and helping to shape it and guide it. I thought that when California legalized medical marijuana, the federal government would deschedule it or something like that. And lo and behold, I was mistaken in that. The federal government really has not changed federal laws an iota in, in, in these 20 years. Nonetheless, I do think that the handwriting is on the wall now, and we have majority votes even in Congress to let the states follow their own laws in this regard. California represents one-sixth of the U.S economy. So goes California, so goes the rest of the nation, and likely the rest of the world. Everyone is watching, and if we don't get this right, we become the red-headed stepchildren poster child of what not to do, and we're done being that for the last few years. Some audio from Reason TV there that uh, was a discussion mostly there with Dale Sky Jones. You just heard her voice, and uh, you also heard Dale Geringer in that piece, the head of California Normal. And uh, now we have seen that, yes, indeed, lots of things happened in the interim. Uh, Reform California is no more. The majority of its board have voted to withdraw its initiative from consideration 
And most of them now have jumped to support the so-called Sean Parker initiative, the adult use of marijuana initiative. So indeed, many things did change. But there are still other competing initiatives out there, the Marijuana Control Legalization and Revenue Act and the California Cannabis Hemp Initiative, the so-called Jack Herrer Initiative. But neither one of them promised to have any sort of funding even approaching what Sean Parker and the other billionaires lined up with him, the Pritzker family, uh, the couple of the Pritzker family heirs, the hotel chain heirs from Hyatt, uh, they will most likely be the initiative that will get the, to the ballot in 2016. The Russ Belleville Show. Chat is for friends 18 and older. We expect our chat to be civil, mature, and free from excessive profanity. If you don't like these rules, there are approximately 6 billion other chat rooms with lower standards that you can visit. Dr. Dabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> More flavor. We must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make them. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it. And didn't inhale. And one major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. In today's Radical Rant, we get to take a look at my favorite subject of ranting, the Joker to my Batman, Kevin Sabet, who is profiled by Joel Warner in the International Business Times today with a feature article, long, long article, entitled, Kevin Sabet is the marijuana movement's biggest threat, but can he really stop Big Pot? And it inspired me. There's a whole lot to read in the article, and uh, you can you can find it on International Business Times. Uh, just Google Kevin Sabet. It'll appear in the news feed. And my favorite part of the story is this quote from Kevin himself. He says, I want there to be a thousand Kevins. There can't be just one Kevin. Kevin is not going to be able to do this alone. Kevin can't just do this year after year. He is going to have heart, he is going to have a heart attack. <laughs> wow, Kevin, when you start talking about yourself in the third person, your grip on reality is starting to slip. Kevin laments that he can't find any fellow anti-pot warriors to take up his crusade. Part of the problem, of course, is that three in five people want legal marijuana and four in five people want legal medical marijuana. Only one in 14 people believe the war on drugs is successful and only one in seven support any continued jailing of people for marijuana. Four in nine people have tried marijuana and one in nine people currently use marijuana. Three out of four people believe marijuana will eventually be legal to buy and use nationwide. So, yes, it might be tough to find some recruits to your cause. The IBT piece is thorough, and it includes some criticisms from Tom Angel and Brian Vincente, 
It asks questions about Project Sam's funding, which Sabet claims runs at about $100,000 per year. <laughs> yeah, right. Kevin also admits they've gotten some new funding that's allowed him to hire on two assistants. Well, I highly doubt that all of this factors in the flights, hotels, rental cars, and per diem that have Kevin dashing to, as the piece notes, London, Dublin, Melbourne, New York, and Washington. The piece even questions Kevin's lack of an alternative policy to ending marijuana prohibition and points out, you know, with the criticisms that everybody said, he keeps saying he wants this new third way that is neither locking up pot smokers nor commercial legalization, but he never mentions what those policies will be, never floats any policies, but I can tell you what they would be because it's right there on the Project Sam website. They say... Possession or use of a small amount of marijuana should be a civil offense subject to a mandatory health screening and marijuana education program, including being monitored for 6 to 12 months in a probation program designed to prevent further drug use. In other words, tickets, fines, and coerced rehab backed by urine tests. And what if I say no to all of those? I suppose it's still jail time, right, Kevin? See, Kevin's white whale these days is the specter of commercialized marijuana. With respect to that, the policies that are endorsed by Project Sam on their website say, quote, production, distribution, dealing, and sale of marijuana should remain misdemeanors or felonies, end quote. Yes, they would end mandatory minimums. Yes, they would provide drug treatment in prison. Yes, they would restore your civil rights upon release. But if you grow or sell marijuana, Project Sam and Kevin Sabet want you in prison. Project Sam, as I tell you, never puts forth an actual initiative or policy proposal, and Kevin himself notes that in the piece. He says, quote, We have to go on the offense. I am sick of saying, vote no, vote no. We want to be yes, end quote. But how do you get in America where three out of five support commercial legalization to vote for what is essentially possession decrim with mandatory rehab and a continuation of imprisoning growers and dealers? This is just his latest shift in his rhetoric as American attitudes have shifted on marijuana. In the beginning, he was stridently anti-medical marijuana. In 2012, he claimed California had buyer's remorse from medical marijuana. He cheered as Los Angeles shut down dispensaries that were, quote, selling marijuana for so-called scare quotes medical purposes, end quote. He called medical marijuana, quote, a sad joke, end quote. But fast forward three years and three Sanjay Gupta weed specials later, and Kevin is telling the International Business Times that, quote, components of marijuana might hold medical promise, end quote. But for Kevin, medical marijuana means big pharma dispensing those components as non-smoked pills, liquids, or inhalers at great profit, rather than people growing a medicinal herb to treat themselves cheaply. 
While he promotes Big Pharma, lately Kevin claims to be fighting Big Tobacco 2.0. This is the concept of marijuana industries becoming corporate giants that will, quote, try to hook potential customers when they're young, hence the growing ubiquity of marijuana-infused gummy bears and other candies, end quote. As if adults don't like gummy bears and candy. In fact, adults do. According to Simmons Market Research Bureau, quote, 75% of adults regularly buy or eat candy. And, quote, as the population ages, much of the future growth in candy consumption is projected to occur among adults, end quote. The article even lead, lends some credence to Kevin Sabet's concerns by repeating the Sabbat conjecture. Quote, and this is the IB Time, International Business Times writing, not Kevin Sabet, but the Times writer says, quote, Our country has already allowed the mass commercialization of two intoxicating substances, alcohol and tobacco, which together cause more than 500,000 U.S. deaths and $500 billion in social costs each year. Do we want to follow the same path for marijuana? End quote. Well, shame on the writer for not pointing out that unlike alcohol and tobacco, marijuana is neither toxic nor addictive to the point of serious physical withdrawal. The Sabbat conjecture is this idea that for every $1 in taxes alcohol and tobacco bring in, there is $10 in resulting social costs, so we can't bank on tax revenues for legal marijuana. Well, why isn't the writer asking, now that Colorado and Washington have reaped $200 million in marijuana tax revenue, where's the corresponding $2 billion in marijuana's social costs? What Kevin Sabet is really proposing is ensuring that cannabis consumers are still marginalized, discriminated against, kept out of sight, and punished if they're caught. Punish users and dealers and growers just a little less. I call it the kinder, gentler drug war model. And I punctured this kinder, gentler drug war shtick last year in La Grande, Oregon. I was following Kevin Sabet as he toured the state trying to convince people to vote against our legalization plan. And I asked him, if you oppose commercialization of marijuana and you oppose locking up marijuana smokers, do you support Washington, D.C.'s initiative? It's grow and give. There's no commercialization whatsoever. Nope, Kevin responded, because D.C. is just trying to lay the groundwork for commercialization later. <laughs> okay, I replied. So a system with no shops and no advertising that only allows people to grow personally and share can't be approved because someday it might become commercial? Well, he nodded. He was getting kind of annoyed with me. And so I continued. So what about other non-commercial systems like the Spanish collective model or the Amsterdam coffee shop model or the state-run liquor store model where, where there isn't a big marijuana, where there isn't a corporatized industry? Nope. Nope. He couldn't support any of those either because Kevin will not support a marijuana policy that recognizes adult use free from government intervention. Now, this all happened because Kevin was touring Oregon, 
trying to defeat our legalization measure, which won by the greatest margin of the four legal states. So thanks, Kevin. He was able to tour through Oregon because of money that had been appropriated by county drug prevention groups through their grants of federal money that is only supposed to be used for education, not electioneering. Now, Kevin thought he could get away with that because his anti-pot vote education tour had been done in 2012 as well, and nobody called him on it. In 2014, however, myself and other advocates, backed by Representative Earl Blumenauer's office, questioned the propriety and legality of using government money to campaign against our marijuana legalization initiative. And we prevailed, because Oregon law is very strict about anti-electioneering. Kevin tried to sell his 13 Oregon tour stops as merely informational and not intended to oppose our legalization measure. But guidance from the Oregon Attorney General reminded him that, quote, if the information presented to the public clearly favors or opposes the measure, it doesn't have to explicitly say, vote no on 91, to be considered anti-measure 91 electioneering. Then, in doing the open records requests to determine just how these counties were misspending their federal grant money, I learned that Kevin earns a $3,000 appearance fee from each of the tour stops. In addition to having his flight, rental car, hotels, and per diem covered. When six of the 13 tour stops canceled for fear of investigation into their misuse of funds, I discovered that some county district attorneys were using their offices, phones, email, and work time to solicit donations to cover Kevin's appearances from other district attorneys and county sheriffs who were also at, the, at work at the time, on your dime. Folks, Kevin Sabet is nothing more than the musicians stoically playing on deck as the Titanic of marijuana prohibition sinks. As the failed Oregon tour proved, the only people supporting Kevin's mission now are big rehab and law enforcement, which together provided 92% of all the funding against Oregon's legalization and all of the money to bring Kevin Sabet to speak to mostly empty halls filled only with fellow rehabbers and law enforcement. It's an amazing article, International Business Times, ibtimes.com. Kevin Sabet is the marijuana movement's biggest threat, but can he really stop big pot? And he is, uh, one of the other things about this article uh, is very interesting, is the recent developments of the uh, the the blowback against this so-called big pot, even within our movement, the rejection of the Ohio monopoly initiative model. And now where we have uh, Dan Riffle of Marijuana Policy Project leaving MPP complaining about the basically industry takeover of the Marijuana Policy Project and how they're going to move forward on their initiatives. So this is a dynamic, and Sam Kamen from the University of Denver, he's a marijuana law professor, says, quote, there's a real tipping point here. It's whether the industry runs this going forward or the policy wonks do. There's real room for Sabet and others to say, let's keep this from being alcohol and tobacco. 
So it is getting some uh, play here. And, and this latest, you know, the Sean Parker initiative where billionaires are now getting involved and moving this. Uh, we heard from it from Ethan Nadelman at the International Drug Policy Alliance Conference talking about the growing influence of the industry in moving these uh, initiatives forward rather than the activism. Uh, we see that with the Reform California group, which is the, primarily the activist group, uh, dropping their initiative and getting behind the industry-led uh, Adult Use of Marijuana Act. Of course, uh, Kevin Sibet's also got two assistants now. Uh, their names are Jeff Zinsmeister. He's a former State Department narcotics officer. And the other is Will Jones. Will Jones was the young man. He's 24. And uh, he launched the Two Is Enough campaign to try to stop Washington, D.C. legalization in 2014. Uh, of course, Washington, D.C. legalization passed with 70% of the vote. But uh, this Will Jones is right in Kevin Sabet's mold. The International Business Times uh, article points out how he formed the Students for a Drug-Free Berkeley uh, as an undergraduate and uh, has been uh, always fight, you know, even from age 17 on been one of these anti-drug wonderkins. Will Jones is another one along that same line. All right, folks, that's all the time I got for hour one. Thanks to all of you watching on the webcam on Ustream. We're going to close that down as we get into hour two. Toker Talk Radio, where the phone lines are open at 971-533-7111. You can call in. We'll talk about big marijuana. Are you afraid of big marijuana? The corporate takeover of the marijuana movement? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Or does it really matter? Plus, we'll look at that story, that good news story out of New York regarding child custody and marijuana. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com and Rolla J Studios in beautiful legal Potland, Oregon, I'm Radical Russ. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. All at SpecialOlympics.org. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Where you can toke. I inhale. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can toke and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Potland, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls, 
live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy poop dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of Gonta Graphics, the sultan of Sativa Statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. Welcome back, tokers and toquettes and non-token lovers of liberty. The phone lines are open on Toker Talk Radio. It's 971-533-7111. That's 971-533-7111. We're ready to talk. We're going to talk a little bit about Kevin Sabet, the Joker to my Batman, and just where does his money come from? Also, we've got a story on tap about a New York mother, New York couple, I believe, uh, that are going to get their child back, even though that child was taken away for child endangerment charges. We're going to take a look at child protective services and how they are used to fight marijuana legalization, how they're used to intimidate marijuana consumers, and so forth. Also want to remind you, coming up at the top of the hour, 5 o'clock Pacific Time, 8 o'clock Eastern, Stoner Jesus will be joining us here at CannabisRadio.com, so stay tuned for that. And make sure you check out CannabisRadio.com for our other great shows, including Dr. Mitch Earlywine's Burning Issues, Vivian McPeak's Hemp Resent, and Kyle Cushman, what is he calling his show now? The Grow Show. That makes sense. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman and plenty of other shows. So check them out at CannabisRadio.com. It is a pretty new station, so we're still working to get things together like uh, a uh, online app and like some of the feeds we're still working on. But uh, by January, everything should be working like we expect it to. Also coming up, uh, we've got uh, more guests in the uh, rest of the week joining us. So make sure you tune in at 3 o'clock Pacific Time here on CannabisRadio.com. Also, quick note about programming. Of course, next week should be our last week on the air as we're uh, entering into the Christmas vacation. Uh, I'll be taking uh, the last couple of weeks of uh, December off. So uh, there'll be no new shows uh, in the last couple of weeks of December because even I deserve a vacation from time to time. All right, uh, let's talk a little bit about this whole Kevin Sabet thing. Um, One of the big parts in the middle of this International Business Times article focuses on where does Project Sam get its money? Where does Kevin Sabet get his money? And when it was first launched, it got uh, money from uh, the Community Alliances for Drug-Free Youth. That's a California nonprofit, and they get money through the Drug Free Communities Act. So that's federal money and the drug free communities, that's kind of an incentive to want to keep marijuana illegal. And uh, Project Sam also has a cozy relationship with several DEA task forces. Um, And then you got to look at who's on the board. Dr. Stuart Gitlow is the medical director for a pharmaceutical company that makes a drug designed to treat opioid addiction. 
Robert DuPont, who's basically the guy who discovered Kevin Sabet and mentored him. Robert DuPont runs a consulting firm that specializes in drug testing management. Wouldn't be a whole lot of work for them to do if, if uh, weed was legal and companies weren't testing for it anymore. Sabet was also an advisory board member for the Drug Free American Foundation. That's Mel and Betty Sembler's organization that they uh, created in the wake of Straight Inc. Straight Inc. was their drug treatment company that was uh, convicted of torturing and abusing young people. And drug manufacturers and drug testing companies are also major sponsors of organizations at which Kevin Sabet comes to speak. Now, Sabet says he gets no funding from pharmaceutical companies, drug testing interests, or the government, but admits that some of his trips and talks have been financed by organizations that do. Well, what's the difference? See, the game Kevin wants to play here is, oh, and he, and he also says that when they file their taxes, it's only going to show a $100,000 operating budget. Yeah, $100,000 operating budget to keep the servers running and all that stuff. But where Kevin Sabet is getting his money is in these donations straight to his public policy LLC. Let's see the taxes on that one. Because there's an... There is no distinguishable difference between Kevin Sabet, the guy who goes around and lectures against legalizing marijuana, and Project Sam, the group that opposes legalizing marijuana. So Kevin's playing this shell game where he's, yeah, probably legitimately able to say, yeah, Project Sam itself only gets $100,000 in funding. What does Kev- How does Kevin Sabet get funded? I already know he was getting funded to the tune of around fifty grand here in the state of Oregon, for a seven-day tour. I know. I have the records. I have the emails. I have the signed contracts and receipts. I know for a fact he was getting his plane, rental car, meals, hotels, all covered. And I know for a fact that his wedding (laughs) cost more money than I'll probably ever see in my lifetime. So where is the funding for Kevin Sabet. Don't ask the question, where's the funding for Project Sam? That's easy to hide. Well, we'll talk more about this and the rest of this uh, Kevin Sabet article when we come back from break. Also, like I said, we're going to talk about Child Protective Services and their threats and intimidations against marijuana consumers. We'll also take your calls at 971-533-7111. Oh, I know what else we have to talk about. The amendments... To the Sean Parker Initiative, how they've changed that since I took a look at it last. Stay tuned. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The son of a Polish immigrant who grew up in a Brooklyn tenement. He went to public schools, then college, where the work of his life began, fighting injustice and inequality, speaking truth to power. He moved to Vermont, won election and praise as one of America's best mayors. 
In Congress, he stood up for working families and for principle, opposing the Iraq war, supporting veterans. Now he's taking on Wall Street and a corrupt political system, funded by over a million contributions, tackling climate change to create clean energy jobs, fighting for living wages, equal pay, and tuition-free public colleges. People are sick and tired of establishment politics, and they want real change. Bernie Sanders, husband, father, grandfather, an honest leader, building a movement with you to give us a future to believe in. I'm Bernie Sanders, and I approve this message. The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, the national wildlife refuge for marijuana unicorns. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Welcome back, everybody. Time for us uh, to take another look at this Kevin Savet article written in the International Business Times. And uh, we were just talking about Kevin Savet's funding. Where is he getting all this funding? And claims there's only $100,000 in funding from Project Sam. And uh, that's coming mostly, according to the report, from the Bodman Foundation. Never heard of him. And Patrick Kennedy's Kennedy Forum. Well, again, Patrick Kennedy is a shill for the re- big rehab industry. That's his whole shtick is, you know, supporting more and more rehab. And again, let's be clear that I'm not against rehab per se. My father lit is alive because of alcohol rehab, detox and rehab. There's no doubt that, you know, we can find ways to help people in a medical way if they've got a substance abuse problem. And Patrick Kennedy knows of which he speaks. He had a substance abuse problem with alcohol and Oxycontin. So, you know, wrecking his car in Washington, D.C. and getting a slap on the wrist while driving, driving while high and drunk. That's a subject for another rant. So, yes, this is Project Sam is primarily being funded by, in the case of the Kennedy Forum, big rehab. And DuPont, one of his board members, is big drug testing. And Gitlo, one of his board members, is big rehab. And there's like eight or nine different board members now that are all some form of rehab industry. You know, uh, doctors that work at these rehabs or uh, manage these rehabs. That's what Project Sam is all about, folks. It's all about continuing the steady stream of non-addicted, non-problematic marijuana users into rehab. When you understand that Project Sam is really just an industry lobby for big rehab, the stuff that they propose or don't propose makes perfect sense. And in this uh, piece, they note how You know, this is a quote from uh, Sabet. He says, on the one hand, it's a badge of honor. How much we have done with so little. On the other hand, it's kind of embarrassing. Well, first of all, 
a badge of honor on how much you have done. What exactly has Project Sam accomplished? It was formed in 2012 after Washington and Colorado had just successfully legalized marijuana. In its first attempt to stop marijuana legalization at the state level in 2014, it lost Oregon, it lost Alaska, and it lost Washington, D.C. What is this success you want to point to? Ohio? Is that is that Project Sam's success? Is they bitched about Buddy, the cartoon mascot, and that killed Ohio? No. What killed Ohio was its terrible monopoly provision that was uh, instituted in it. And, and in fact, even in Ohio losing, there's a sliver of a victory against Kevin Sabet's rhetoric in that when an actual big marijuana was proposed, you know, something that could actually be called big marijuana was proposed, the people rejected it. The people indicated that they wanted a more fair and open and commercialized marijuana system than what was proposed. In California, their recent amendments to the Sean Parker initiative, one of them is to limit the size of a grow to 22,000 square feet for the next five years. That's the largest grow you'll be able to have in California for the next five years. Now, originally, the Sean Parker amendment was going to add a grow license for over 22,000 square feet, unlimited, over 22K or over an acre outdoors. They put the brakes on that, gave it a five-year waiting period, so big marijuana couldn't swoop in and take over the whole California market, that these smaller growers would have a chance to establish themselves, to build their clientele, to build their brands before big marijuana could get involved. So his whole argument about big marijuana is one that those of us on the, on the reform side have some sympathy toward. And, and this sympathy has existed way back to the day of, the, you know, back to the, the first time a hippie in the 70s said that Marlboro was going to buy up fields in Humboldt County. There's always been that fear of this corporatization, this Walmartization of marijuana. So Kevin Sabet, though, makes the mistake of painting with too broad a brush. What he sees as big marijuana, a lot of people see as family farmers, small businessmen. They see these things as economic opportunities, as jobs, as engines of, of commerce in their cities and states. They look at Colorado and Washington having reaped $200 million in marijuana tax revenue and say, hey, we, we want a little bit of that. That, sounds, that looks like a good idea. But Kevin Sabet paints all of that as a so-called big marijuana. And another problem with Sabet's rhetoric on this whole big marijuana is that there already exists a big marijuana. It's called Juarez Cartel or Gulf Cartel or Sinaloa Cartel. And there always has been a marijuana monopoly. It's called the guy. If you live in an illegal state, you got to know a guy to be able to buy weed. And there aren't a whole lot of guys that you can find necessarily. So his rhetoric fails in, in painting big marijuana as even small businessmen and family farmers rather than the true big corporatized marijuana that perhaps even a lot of cannabis consumers as demonstrated by Ohio don't want to see. But this claim that we've done so much with so little, and again, what have they accomplished? 
the Gallup polls keep rising. We're up to 58% support for legalization nationwide. That's not budging. That's not moving. So you're not moving the polls. You're not changing uh, the elections any. What has Project Sam actually accomplished? But the other thing, the and Kevin pushes this. I'm sure the writer, you know, put this in based on Kevin's, you know, uh, framing of it, is pointing out how much the budgets are for the drug law organizations. Marijuana Policy Project in 2013 had 1.6 million dollars in revenue. Drug Policy Alliance has over nine million in revenue. And if you look at the legalization campaigns, and they provide this handy little chart, so you can. The supporters of marijuana legalization outspend the opponents of legalization by a factor of 10 or more. We spend 10 times as much on pro-legalization campaigning than they spend on anti-legalization campaigning. The problem with that is it ignores the elephant in the room, the federal government and their prohibition. And all of the weight that that puts on the argument, us spending 10 times as much as our, as our opponents is because we have to is because our opponents include an entire bureaucracy dedicated to stigmatizing, demonizing and treating as second class citizens, the people that use cannabis. You're really clouding the energy in this room right now. They even admit it. Tom Gorman from the Rocky Mountain High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area says that when we had the just say no press on drugs, we had the first lady leading the charge, and that's powerful. Yeah, yeah, you can't really monetize what that's worth, can you? Hey, happy 420 to everyone here in the Pacific Time Zone. We're back right after this. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your cannabis 280E and tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPAs Cannabis Finance Bootcamp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. Get the latest updates on the Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking the Russ Belleville Show on Facebook. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. Normal stands for Responsible Adult Cannabis Use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks are far less than those posed by legal drugs. The Russ Belleville Show. Providing dictionaries to drug czars since 2009. 
Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to ensure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services, ranging from commercial to bonds to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at KarcherInsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R Insurance.com. Contact Karen and the team at Karcher Insurance at 1-844-421-3560. That's 844-421-3560. Welcome back, everybody. 23 after the hour here. And if you're wondering, where's the Daily Toker Tunes? Oh, my apologies. We can't do the Daily Toker Tunes anymore. As we move to CannabisRadio.com and the licensing is different and all of that kind of stuff, I can't play any copyrighted music anymore. That's why you're hearing all of these uh, instrumental breaks. But that's the way it goes. Uh, Not having copyrighted music on the show will get us distribution on far more outlets, including iHeartRadio. So it's a small sacrifice we have to make. But if you really enjoy the music that we've been bringing here on the Russ Belleville show, it will still live on on 420radio.org, which as of January 1st will transition to being an all-music stream. It'll feature the same great music shows you've enjoyed, uh, including the new Viper Hour, Electric Bob's Boogaloo, uh, Gordon Green's Music Planet, Big Daddy Fink's Funky Roller Rink, Herb Thrasher Flower Hour, and possibly we'll add more shows. If you're interested in having a, a music show on 420radio.org, just uh, email me. I'm Radical Russ everywhere, so RadicalRuss at gmail.com will do just fine. All right, let me get to this other story. Um, this is after talking about Kevin Sabet for so long. You know, you want some good news. <laughs> you want something nice to talk about. And this is coming from Hoboken, New Jersey. A story of a mom uh, who lost her child, lost her eight-month-old son, to the Department of Child Protection and Permanency, Department of Children and Families. That's what it is, DCF, Department of Children and Families. And this is just a typical story. We hear this all across the country where people lose their kids over small amounts of weed. And how this is yet another way that the government forestalls the legalization of marijuana. Wish I knew what that was. I've been hearing that all day. But anyway, uh, sorry, sorry, just bothered me there. But uh, uh, the legalization of marijuana, when we look at the polls consistently for about the past 40 years, there is always an eight to 10 point gap between men's support for legalization and women's support for legalization. And part of what that gap is attributed to is mothers and how they are perceived. And once you become a parent, becoming more responsible and putting away the weed. And and a large degree of that has to be because of a parent being terrified they're going to lose their kid over weed. And it's, it's kind of counterintuitive in a way because 
what would stop that is legalizing weed. <laughs> you'd, you'd think we could get women to support legalization more if they understood that legalization meant protecting your family. So I think that has to go into a lot of the framing of this. But as we, as we look at this story, what happened is this woman uh, in New Jersey, Hoboken, New Jersey, uh, was tipped off. She lived in an apartment and somebody in the apartment tipped off the cops to the fact that there was marijuana smoking going on. So they showed up at the apartment, knocked on the door. She answered the door. And according to the cops said she was under the influence. You know, maybe she had red eyes, right? And then allegedly saw their friend, her friend bagging an unspecified amount of marijuana at the time. In addition to the mom and the friend being there, the father was also home. The child in this case was the eight month old boy was sleeping in a different room. Okay. So the kid's not even in the same room as where allegedly they're bagging up marijuana. So the cops arrested both the parents and then released them a few hours later. Then the child protective people show up. DCF shows up five hours after the arrest interviews, both parents, the DCF, uh, representative says the mothers didn't appear to be under the influence uh, and later stated in court, the baby appeared to be healthy, clean and well cared for. And the house was clean and appropriate for a child. So no abuse to the kid kids doing fine. Right. But the courts allowed the child to be taken away and, and charge these parents with endangering the child, saying, quote, that selling drugs was a dangerous activity because a drug dealer may have a gun and fight with the police and other things could have gone wrong. Now, the mom appealed this case. And this is the good news. The appellate court has reversed the decision. In the appellate court's decision, they said, quote, here, there is no evidence the baby suffered any actual harm, and so the issue is whether the mother placed the baby in imminent danger or at a substantial risk of harm in the manner found by the trial court. Okay, so no actual harm. Kid's fine, but is there danger? Is there risk? And they continued, quote, a preliminary question is whether uh, the mother packaging or wrapping the marijuana for the purposes of distribution. In our view, the record fails to substantiate that he was, oh, I'm sorry, the, the, the boyfriend, to substantiate whether he was, and the trial court's conclusion to the contrary was based upon unsupported surmise and incompetent evidence. In other words, the cops said this guy was bagging weed, but there was no evidence that that was actually happening. And the judges added, quote, the trial court's assumption that the mother's friend was a drug dealer and engaging in drug distribution activities in her home was not supported by competent evidence. Further, there was no evidence her friend had a gun or conducted himself in a manner that placed the child at risk for harm when the police came to the mother's home, end quote. And uh, this, to me, is a fantastic uh, ruling by this appellate court. But it still leaves open some questions because what they're basically ruling is, is that the state failed to prove the guy was a drug dealer. The state failed to prove that there was marijuana bagging going on and activity involved in drug dealing. And so therefore, since there wasn't any drug dealer around, drug dealing around, um, you couldn't prove 
that imminent harm to the kid, the risk of the guns and the fights of the police and so forth. So that leaves open the possibility that had they been able to competently prove that he was bagging marijuana, those parents would still be charged with felonies and that kid would still be in foster care. But why is bagging marijuana necessarily a drug dealer activity? I might be sharing marijuana with you and we might split it on the coffee table and then you might take some of that marijuana and put it in a bag. It doesn't mean you're a drug dealer. It doesn't mean you're intending to go sell it. At some point, marijuana has to go in a bag. <laughs> so how can putting marijuana in a bag be something that's construed as being a drug dealer, which then gets construed as putting a child at risk, which then puts parents in jail and kids in foster? That's how ridiculous this war on drugs is. And that's why it's so important that we legalize marijuana. New York is a decriminalization state. This is happening in New York, the West New York Police Department. So I guess, yeah, West, oh, I'm sorry, I, my, my apologies. It wasn't in New York. West New York is in New Jersey. My apologies. Not, not New York. New York's a decrim state, but New Jersey is not. My apologies. I was confused by the name of the town. But uh, yeah, so it still leaves open the possibility if we find out that you are a drug dealer, then yeah, we can take your kids and ruin your life. And this is just yet another reason why legalization is so critically important, why I stand for every legalization. People may complain that that Ohio thing was monopoly laden and bad policy and we're glad it didn't pass. But it also means that some family in Ohio is going to be impacted by this lack of legalization, by the continued criminal prohibition, and their family may be torn apart over it. And it's not just one family. It's going to be lots of families. So, no, I don't cheer. I'm not happy when any legalization loses because it means a continuation of prohibition. And it's funny to me, too, because online, everybody knows me as the guy who was supporting Ohio. So online, I got these people who are anti-Ohio that that hit me up and they say, you lost. Ha ha. You can't get over it. You're still crying because you lost. I didn't lose a damn thing. I'm in Oregon. I can walk 10 minutes down the block and go buy weed and I can smoke a bong on camera here in my home. And it's no big deal. I, I didn't lose anything. Ohio lost Ohio families lost Ohio patients lost Ohio consumers lost. So these child protective services, things are just yet another way that this prohibition impacts people that doesn't necessarily show up on the criminal statistics. We can tell you how many people got arrested. We can tell you how many people did jail time and so forth. But note in this story, the cops arrested them and then let them go a few hours later. They might not actually be criminally charged. But the Department of Children and Families will still use that as part of their decision-making process when it comes to whether or not people get to keep their families together. Those are, the, those are the hidden statistics. Those are the dark matter, the dark data, if you will, of marijuana prohibition. And so when the opponents like Kevin Sabet make that talking point about, well, we're not clogging our prisons with marijuana consumers. Gosh, only 0.7% of them are in there for blah, 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 blah. Keep in mind, 0.7% of 2.3 million is still a pretty damn big number. 
But regardless, that's that's the that's the visible data. That's the data we can see. The dark data are how many people are in prison because they failed a piss test on parole or probation, went got back sent sent back to prison under their original crime. Doesn't show up as a pot smoking statistic. Shows up as a probation violation or a parole violation. How many people uh, that were busted for crimes that are considered violent marijuana crimes, like use of a firearm in the commission of a felony, when that firearm was a, a hunting twenty-two that was sitting in a cabinet in the back room and had nothing to do with the marijuana operation? Those are the dark statistics that don't show up. How many people get fired, lose their jobs? Or are underemployed because they can't apply for certain jobs. Those are dark statistics that don't show up. How many kids get shuttled off to foster care or some relative and a family broken up? How many people are denied an organ transplant or denied a medical treatment because of the stat- their status as a cannabis consumer? These are the dark statistics, like dark matter and dark energy. They're out there, and we can feel their effect, but we can't see them because they're not being counted. They're not being measured. And every one of these statistics is a real-life, real-world, real-person's story where their their lives are overturned and, and upended over something like growing a houseplant or smoking an herb. And it makes no sense whatsoever, and that's why we're here every day, almost every day, day after day, fighting to inform and educate and hopefully entertain all of you out there so that you have the tools you need, the stats, the data, the talking points, the rhetoric, the information and evidence you need in your next water cooler war when you're talking to somebody at work about it or during the holidays when you visit your family, Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas, joyous Kwanzaa, and a Festivus for the rest of us. And you're around those family members who know you're a pot smoker and want to disagree with you about legalization. I hope my show helps to arm you for those battles. Stay tuned. Final segment coming up. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. It's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. The Russ Belleville Show, where the truth about marijuana gets more than a minute to speak. This is Radical Russ encouraging you to take a look at the Weed Blog every day. Johnny Green and the staff at the Weed Blog are on top of all the latest developments in the fight to end marijuana prohibition nationwide. You can even get the Weed Blog on your smartphone by installing the Weed Blog app for iPhone and Android. It's about weed. It's on the Weed Blog, including my original writing. So don't delay. Read the Weed Blog today. Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Norman. And I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. 
It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORML. The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, the national wildlife refuge for marijuana unicorns. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on mjwellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today. Welcome back. Final segment here. Sending out some stuff on social media. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show's Toker Talk Radio on CannabisRadio.com. It's our final segment. The phone lines are open at 971-533-7111. If you want to talk, we're here for you. And, uh, boy, I got to say, just to go off the warpath here for just a second. Sometimes I go off the warpath. That's my segment where uh, I talk about non-drug war stuff. Because I'm interested in other stuff, too, and I think we all are. And uh, the Russ Belville Show, while it's talk radio for the marijuana nation, it's uh, the voice of the marijuana nation, we have concerns in the marijuana nation beyond just marijuana. And so occasionally I like to bring those up. And today, the subject is Donald Trump. Oh, my goodness. Donald Trump, Donald Trump. And it's interesting because it seems like he's just getting more and more outrageous and it almost it almost feels like, you know, even he can't believe it. Like, okay, I'm going to say I'm going to say some shit that's going to blow their mind. Watch this. And they'll say it and his polls will go up. <laughs> right? It's like, what? And so many people in the political class have been looking at this Donald Trump phenomenon and saying, "Well, it's a fad. He's a, you know, a, a reality show guy. He's a celebrity. He's going to get that attention, blah blah blah." You know, kind of stuff they said about Ronald Reagan or Jesse Ventura, right? Both of whom won their elections, by the way. Uh, the thing with Donald Trump, though, is that he's not going away, folks. And this thing, this Donald Trump, is really the logical end result of what goes back all the way to Richard Nixon's Southern strategy. The idea of of consolidating the white vote around coded racist imagery what uh what the white vote which uh what nixon once called the silent majority right and that has been that has been uh tended to that has been fed by the republicans for a long time now (laughs) and 
it gets worse and worse. I mean, every campaign you find some sort of coded, you know, the Willie Horton ad from George H.W. Bush, you know, the, uh, Ronald Reagan's Cadillac Welfare Queens, you know, uh, the, the Mitt Romney talking about the takers and so forth, right? It's always been coded. It's always been dog whistled, but it's it's always been there. This appeal to the to racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, intellectualism. I mean, it's been seeded by the GOP for a long time. We saw it in the rise of the of the Tea Party and so forth. So for Republicans now, it's interesting because they're all now, you know, distancing themselves from Trump. I mean, the other day, I was forced to agree with Lindsey Graham, Senator Lindsey Graham, and former Vice President Darth Cheney in the same day. I was like, check the thermostat in hell. I agree with Darth Cheney. And of course, Cheney was talking about, yeah, we, we, we don't, uh, it's not the way of America here to uh, be against uh, religious freedom. Uh, uh. Right. And of course, we're talking about Trump calling for the immediate suspension of immigration of any Muslims to America. No Muslims can come into the country. Right. Which is so anti-American on so many levels. Right. <laughs> it's like, France, you can have the Statue of Liberty back. We don't need it anymore. But he says stuff like that, and, and people start now, you know, Godwin's Law is in full effect. People are comparing him to Hitler, saying, you know, just replace the word Muslim with Jew, and you've got Hitler's speeches from 1940, 1930s. This is, getting, this is getting pretty serious among a lot of people out there. And it's something I think we need to be serious about as well, and not just as to what Donald Trump you know, thinks about marijuana legalization and his, his policy, his stand on it is pretty murky. I think he's for medical marijuana and kind of states rightsy on legal marijuana, right? But you got to look deeper than that, not just into what his policy pronouncements would be, but what is the undercurrent? What is the theme? What is his guiding principle? And how would that affect marijuana legalization? And what we're seeing now, the guiding principle is to pick on the aggrieved minorities and, in the words of the rude pundit, make America white again. Not make America great again, make America white again. And this is, you know, we're seeing it in, in so many different ways, but when you see this, when he's saying, you know, all the Mexicans are, the Mexicans coming in are rapists and the Muslims are, you know, well, they're terrorists. We can't let them in, you know, all these, you know, and the way he goes after, you know, Megyn Kelly and women, you know, in his tweets and such, every single one of these things reminds me of the Niemöller poem and pastor Niemöller from uh, the world war two era. I think it was Polish who wrote the poem that said, first they came for the trade unionists, but I wasn't a trade unionist, so I didn't speak up. Then they came for the communists, but I wasn't a communist, so I didn't speak up. Then they came for the Jews, but I wasn't a Jew, so I didn't speak up. And then they came for me, but no one was left to speak up for me. Well, I worry about that, right? Because how much of a trip is it for the typical Donald Trump supporter who hates the Mexicans and hates the Muslims and hates the Black Lives Matter, hates, hates, hates? How easy is it to trans, trans, transfer them onto the side of hating potheads. 
How much distance is there from Richard Nixon's silent majority and these 30, 35% of the Republicans who say they support Trump? I don't think, don't think there's a whole lot of difference between those two mindsets. Trump is proposing, you know, he's, he's putting out rhetoric that paints the other as the problem. And if we only demonize and control the other, all our problems will be solved. And that's the exact mindset of the war on certain American citizens using non-pharmaceutical, non-alcoholic, tobacco-free drugs. So if you're on Facebook and you're in my friends list and you are supporting Donald Trump, and I see posts to that effect, you can expect that I will be unfriending and blocking you because it is time to get serious about this and stand up and recognize creeping fascism when we see it. And and I'm the kind of person, you know, I, I try not to be too hyperbolic. I try not to go too far out in my metaphors and all that. I usually loathe when people bring up fascism or Hitler because it's almost always way out of proportion and not analogous. But the kind of things Donald Trump is standing for now are fascist, are frightening. When they had that Trump rally and the Black Lives Matter protester was shouting out something, the black man was shouting out something, and Trump had the crowd turn on him and and later didn't deny it, basically said, yeah, well, maybe he you know needed that or something. I mean, this should frighten any American out there. And this, you know, I think everybody's real clear with my allegiances on this. I'm a, I'm a Bernie Sanders guy all the way. I don't even like Hillary Clinton and, and, and will not vote for Hillary Clinton if she's the nominee. Sorry. And even as much as I hate Trump, and man, this is, this is where it gets tough, too, because if it really came down to Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump, I have to write someone in. I have to, I have to vote. Yeah, lesser of two evils, yes, Hillary Clinton would be a far better president than Donald Trump would be. But Hillary Clinton will just be a continuation of what's gotten us to where we're at already, a continued centralization of the Democratic Party, a continued kowtowing to the big Wall Street banks, investment firms, not breaking them up. I guarantee you in a Hillary Clinton presidency, there will be another housing bubble burst, and it may make the 2008 economic collapse look like kids play in comparison. I really really do believe Bernie Sanders is the only guy who can even start, start the process of dismantling these banks and unentangling the American economy from too big to fail. But I'm not saying necessarily that any of the other Republicans aren't worth your vote. I'm not voting for them. I, I, I not vote Republican, but I got a lot of friends out there who are Republicans. You know, I got a lot of friends in the, in the reform movement who are Republican or libertarian. And I kind of feel for them with Donald Trump leading their party at this point, the Republicans anyway, how embarrassed they must feel that that's not their kind of Republicanism. I mean, what this is really setting up to be, and it's an interesting conspiracy theory. <laughs> I, I, I've got this conspiracy theory the other day from someone, I can't remember where, uh, some article on a right wing site that talked about um, how Donald Trump always seems to say something incredibly outrageous just after something scandalous has broken for Democrats, whether it be Benghazi or, you know, something that 
Obama did wrong or the San Bernardino shooting turning out to be Muslim extremists or whatever it might be, right? The conspiracy theory is that Donald Trump is actually an agent provocateur in the Republican Party who's purposefully trying to destroy the Republican brand as a favor or a service, maybe a paid service, from Hillary Clinton so that she can become president. Now, it's an interesting theory, especially from the point of view of if you're a moderate Republican out there, you're like some of my friends and you you support Republican values, you know, but not xenophobia and fascism then the alternative of hillary clinton isn't that bad to you perhaps i mean hillary clinton on foreign policy might as well be a neocon and on economic policy in many cases uh is fairly conservative so maybe that maybe what hillary clinton is doing is what propelled her husband to become president back in the day and that's the fact that there was a split electorate Back in the day, in 92, it was Ross Perot, another billionaire running in the race, a third party running as an independent, that split the conservative vote between himself and George H.W. Bush running for a second term. Clinton was able to get into the White House with something like 44% of the popular vote. He didn't even get a majority. Would the Clintons be so calculating as to hire Donald Trump to be their 2016 Perot? So that even if he doesn't destroy the Republican brand by getting the nomination himself, he builds up enough support to run a third party uh, vanity campaign that splits the conservative vote and ushers Hillary Clinton in with just a plurality rather than a majority. It's an interesting conspiracy theory. Uh, The only thing that blows it for me is I think Donald Trump's got such an ego that he couldn't fake running for president. I think he's really running for president, folks. Anyway, that's all the time we got for today. Coming up at the top of the hour, we got Stoner Jesus joining us. So uh, the spirit shall fill you. Be back tomorrow with what will be my 700th show independently. 700 independent shows, 908 shows I did with normal. So that's what, 1,608 times that I've talked to you here? Who knew this was a job? For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com and Rolla J Studios in beautiful legal Potland, Oregon, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. For 2016. And, um... There's another group, Arizonans for Responsible Legalization. They are going to file a legalization initiative in the state of Arizona. The chairwoman of Arizonans for Responsible Legalization is one Dr. Gina Berman, who had previously been on the campaign committee for Marijuana Policy Project. Campy is apparently upset that she, well, basically dropped 
the marijuana policy project mantle and moved on to Arizonans for responsible legalization. And the reason why, according to the doctor, is that MPP is going forth with a legalization measure that's too wide open and would not likely be passed by the people of Arizona. Several key points they disagreed on, according to a letter she wrote. Berman wrote that MPP has proposed its legalization initiative to allow, quote, an unlimited number of marijuana dispensaries, end quote, throughout the state. And by dispensary, she means pot shops, because we're talking legal, right? Not medical, right? An unlimited number of pot shops throughout the state. Such a proposal would be bad, she wrote, because voters, quote, do not support such a radical departure from current law. Now, I understand how folks want freedom. And in this case, MPP is standing for the initiative that would provide more freedom. They believe that you could have an unlimited number of pot shops and the people would vote for it. The Arizona group, Arizonans for Responsible Legalization, disagrees. They think there ought to be a cap. They say, quote, an incremental approach that caps the number of dispensaries at or slightly above the current number of licensed dispensaries is the only politically feasible feasible approach, end quote. Also adding that oversight and monitoring of an unlimited number of dispensaries by public officials would be impossible. Berman also wrote that MPP had proposed a dramatic deregulation of homegrown marijuana, but speculates that voters would not support that either. Now, she may be wrong. Doctor might be wrong on this. Maybe the people of Arizona would support unlimited pot shops and wide open home grow. Maybe MPP knows something that they don't know. It's okay to have these kind of disagreements. It's all right to, have to disagree on these policies. The problem in this story comes when Rob Campia is threatening to hurt her medical marijuana dispensary business through leafleting and paying 10 grand to make that happen. That goes beyond the pale. Why do you want to drag medical marijuana patients into your little fight? What good are you going to do? You're going to shut down their dispensary and then what? They, they have to go find another dispensary, get all registered at a different place, maybe have to drive farther or they, they don't have a bus line that goes out to where they need to go or they have to spend more time getting their medicine. All because you want to play my way or the highway games of chicken. Now, two things really Oil me about this fight. Number one, a little line here in this Arizona Republic story that says, Campia wrote that the competing initiative would not affect his group's plans. Well, <laughs> well shit fire, man. If it's not going to affect your plans, it doesn't seem that way. It seems like you're fighting really hard against it. It seems like you're really upset about it and are willing to spend 10 grand to make it go away. So I don't buy this idea that it doesn't affect your plans. It already's affected your plans. <laughs> You're already spending 10 grand you weren't expecting on spending, aren't you? It's affected your plans. What MPP doesn't like in this scenario is being cast as the crazy radical legalizers that they usually get to cast themselves against. Usually it's MPP proposing the moderate legalization and the wild-eyed normalizers and legalizers out there proposing the wide-open home grows and dispensaries. 
And speaking of that, let's rewind a little bit to 2010. Back in 2010, there was a pretty nice, wide-open legalization that was being proposed. It allowed for home grow, small gardens, but allowed home grow, allowed for possession. It allowed for the creation of pot shops, people to shop at them, places to shop and people to grow for these pot shops. Pretty nice legalization. And it was vocally and publicly opposed by a significant number of medical marijuana dispensaries. Guess how much money Rob Campia and MPP spent in 2010 to leaflet and try to shut down the businesses of those medical marijuana dispensaries, not that were for legalization, but were trying to sink legalization and may in some small way have succeeded in 2010? The answer is zero. Zero. MPP didn't spend a dime opposing those dispensaries when they fought legalization, did they? You know why? Because Prop 19 was an MPP's initiative. Prop 19 was Richard Lee putting 1.5... Another medical marijuana dispensary owner, by the way. Prop 19 was Richard Lee putting $1.5 million of his own life savings on the line for legalization against the advice of MPP, who said to wait to 2012, wait for a presidential election. So when that legalization was getting 55% support in the polls and was shocking the hell out of everyone, and all it needed was some big money donors to step up and push it over the line, was MPP there shoveling money at Prop 19? Nope. Was MPP there shoveling money to have leafleters go to the...